Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for the award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Welcome to the Fighting on Film podcast, the podcast all about classic and obscure war movies, from the Normandy landings to the days of chivalry and swords. If it's been captured on film, we're going to try and cover it. I'm Robbie of RM Military History. I'm Matthew Moss of Historical Firearms and the Armourer's Bench. Hello, welcome to another episode of Fighting on Film. This week we are looking at the mosquito-heavy classic 633 Squadron from 1964. Fantastic. And we have a tie-in giveaway this week, kindly provided by those kind folks at the Warbird Coffee Co. They're kindly giving away a bag of coffee of your choosing. So if you check the Twitter, um, the Fighting on Film Twitter, we'll be posting how to enter that draw when this episode goes live. Thanks very much to Warbird Coffee Co. I've tried some of their wacky wabbit coffee and it is delicious. I definitely couldn't say that. Not with not with my speech impediment. <laughs> oh no, don't put yourself <laughs> down, mate. <laughs> no, but thanks to them. It's very kind of them. Let's uh, talk six three three squadron. Yeah, I haven't seen I haven't seen this film in a long time. Oh, I hadn't either. When you suggested it, I thought, okay. Mm. Yeah, I haven't seen that in ages. I haven't seen it on TV in ages either, which is becoming more and more common with these films, I think. It used to be like an ITV4 staple, didn't it? You know, ITV. Yeah. Along with like Mosquito Squadron. Yeah, yeah. Because I get them, these two mixed up a lot. Well, they use the same footage. There's bits of footage that's used in Mosquito Squadron that is from 633. Oh, wow. Okay. So I can understand why. That makes sense. So let's cover the plot and then we'll mm. jump in with our, uh, some of our thoughts. It basically follows a secret raid mm. uh, in the run-up to D-Day. There's some concern about V2 bombs hitting the, the marshalling areas and possibly the beachhead. What the RAF does is they plan a raid to destroy where the fuel for the V2s is made. Mm. The fuel is made in a fjord in Norway. And the only way to knock out this heavily defended, heavily reinforced factory is by blowing a cliff down onto the factory. Now, that's a Nazi megastructure I've ever heard of one. Why that hasn't been covered in the show, I don't know. You can totally but... see. <laughs> you can see that, can't you? <laughs> Definitely. 
the only squadron capable of doing this mission is um, 633, which is a Mosquito Squadron. The best. The best of the best. Yeah. Um, and there's a little subplot of some Norwegian uh, resistance fighters. They bring all the information out about the, the defences and such. And there's going to be a ground element where the resistance fighters knock out the anti-aircraft gun positions around the factory. Yeah, and then there's a little bit of a love subplot in there. It all sounds quite simple, but there's a lot going on. The characters. So Harry Andrews, um, he plays Air Vice Marshal David. So last week he was a sergeant in Korea. This week he's a vice marshal. So he's, he switched jobs and he's got a massive promotion. Harry Andrews gets around, folks. He sets out the the plan. He tells all the, the, the pilots and mosquito pilots what they'll be doing. Um, you've got Wing Commander Roy Grant. He's the he's your um your leader your, of the uh, of the Mosquito Squadron. He's played by Cliff Robinson. He portrays an Eagle Squadron pilot, but obviously by forty four, the Eagle Squadrons have been disbanded and returned into like U.S. Army Air Force. Ah, okay. Maybe he just hung around. And he played Uncle Ben in the uh, the Spider Man trilogy, um, the the two thousand one. Oh, of course, yeah, yeah. He played Uncle Ben he- in those. He won an Oscar in um, '68 for Charlie. Yeah, he did. Yeah, big, big so name. You know, he's a big, he's a big name. Like he's mm. a, a good actor, and he was an experienced pilot as well. Yes, of course he was. Um, but he didn't fly during the war. He was in the Metro Marines during the war. Ah, um, Lieutenant Eric Bergman. He's the leader of the 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 Norwegian Ling, the Resistance Fighters. He's played by George Jacaris, who become a megastar for um, appearing in West Side Story as the leader of the Shark Gang. Oh, yeah, of course. He's one of the three Georges, right? That's it, yeah. Oh, yeah, from <laughs> Great Escape. <laughs> yeah, from the, the scene from um, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood where uh, Leonardo DiCaprio says that he was beat out of the Great Escape by the three Georges, Jacaris, Peppard, and I forget the last one. But, yeah, it's a great, it's a great scene. I think he's possibly one of the standout actors. Uh, then we have Hilda Bergman, his sister, played by Maria Pershy. Good thing you mentioned Great Escape there, Matt, because we have Flying Officer Hoppy Hopkinson, played by Angus Lenny. Yeah, he sort of pops up at the beginning of the film, then we don't see much in the middle of the film. No, we don't. And then he's there again at the end of the film. He's the only one that survives, actually. He is. <laughs> it's quite funny. Spoilers again. These actors probably were on Mersh contracts, because I know that George Karish was on Mersh Company, who right. produced the film, the Mersh um, Company. It's Walter Mersh, wasn't it, the producer? Yeah, that's it. So I think Angus Linney must have been on a... Yeah, like a retainer or something. Yeah. Something like that, yeah. It's, it's nice to see these little connections between movies, you know, especially in the order of the, when the podcast episodes are released. And so we've had two Harry Andrews movies now. And <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so that probably segues us into production a little bit. Oh, yeah. Before we move on, we've got group captain Don Bartlett, who played um, was played by Donald Houston. Okay. Who um, was in War Eagle's Death? I see. He was one of the he was one of the German double agents. Yeah, no, I see it now. Brilliant. He's the group captain that joins the mission at the very end, and mm. it's his bomb that actually dislodges the cliff. And he actually was in the RAF during the war. Oh, fantastic! As I said before, it's produced by the Mersh Company, released on the fourth of June, nineteen sixty-four. Had its premiere in London. Um, directed by Walter Grauman. Now he's an interesting character. So he flew B twenty-five Mitchells during the war. Mm. The biggest credit I can find after 633 is directing something like 50 or 53 episodes of Murder, She Wrote in the 80s, which I think is an incredible shift. (laughs) That's a lot of episodes of Murder, She Wrote. It is. A lot. Yeah, I looked him up too, and he he seems to have predominantly been a TV director. You don't get that feeling watching 633. No. It doesn't feel overly TV-ish. 
And his experience of flying Mitchell bombers really comes through. You know, he knows how to shoot. Yeah, it must have informed it. Yeah, I wonder if he was behind the choice of having a B twenty five like cameo. Oh, I assume so. And that's what I thought. You know, when I found that out, I was like, I'm oh, definitely you. Yeah. Getting your old. I wonder if he was flying it. Possibly. Maybe. You never know. So we've got that immortal soundtrack. The, the you know, it's the thing the film is sort of everyone knows it for, don't they? Yeah. Um, but it's by Ron Goodwin. So he did the music for Where Eagles Day. Did the music for. Battle of Britain, Operation Crossbow, so many like beloved great war films. And it's just a, an amazing soundtrack guy. Soundtrack guy. Soundtrack guy. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a budget of 1.3 million. Respectable. Yeah. I could only find the initial box office um, take. It was about 1.7. So over the years, it must have made its I, money back. Yeah, I did read it. it. It made its money back even just in the initial British run. Oh, well, there you go. Because, of course. because it was all filmed in the UK. Yeah. Um, so the costs were kept fairly low. Mm. Um, it's a, It runs for about an hour and 34. Yeah. So it's not overly long. And it did quite well. It was quite popular. Mm, um, definitely. It predates, you know, some of the other big movies. Um, yeah, so this is like pre-Battle of Britain, things like that, you know. Hamish McHaddy, DSODFC, was a technical advisor in the film. And he was a Pathfinder, um, number eight group, RAF. So he helped find locations for Dambusters. He also worked on Operation Crossbow and he flew mosquitoes. So his his expertise come through and he actually owned a mosquito that he bought. Wow. And it was used during the filming. I mean, how many running? There was there's seven mosquitoes in the movie and four of them were running and three were just taxiing. Yeah, there were T T something tugs. They were retrofitted to look like uh, fighter fighter variants. Oh yeah, they put the yeah the fighter bomber variant where they put the guns at the front, like and yeah, that's right. I think I read that too. The airfield scenes were filmed at RAF Bovingdon, um, and the Scottish Highlands mountains of Glencoe. Well, not only do they fill in for the training sequences in Scotland that obviously are in Scotland, yeah. but then they fill in for Norway as well. So then that becomes too obvious during the end of the yeah, movie. Yeah, <laughs> it looks nothing like Norway, but it looks like the same place they were at. At the start, it's a bit it does. I mean, it helps that the end sequence is entirely a model. Oh, thank God. <laughs> yeah. Um, sequence. Um, but yeah, the the bits with the the Norwegian underground, they they are like it's it's quite on, obvious that they are not in Norway. So I've got a retro review again. Great. And this one comes from the Daily Mirror again. They're rich vein of of content on the old newspaper archive that I use. Uh, so this comes from June the fifth, sixty four, um, the day after release. We've seen it all before, but rarely have modern Hell's Angels been presented with such rip-roaring visual impact. They crash into fjords, swoop through flak, and perform miracles of devilry in a film that owes much to the stuntmen and camera wizards. When the picture is not airborne, it's a bit too conventionally grounded, with its slight but acceptable plot. Cliff Robertson as a squadron's ace pilot and George Takaris as Norwegian resistance man seconded to the RAF earn their wings for likeable performances. The girl in the proceedings is blonde Maria Pershey, George's sister, and Cliff's sweetie. But the romance is a mere hint, and Miss Pershey does not intrude too much on this he-man's world of blazing aerobatics. It's not a bad review. I read a few others that weren't as, like, kind to the acting. I can understand that, yeah. The other review on the Sunday Mirror says it would give Oscars to the, the stuntmen, which I thought was quite okay. quite a good little ad. So the, the actual special effects were done by um, Tom Howard, who used a mixture of miniatures and, and projections and matte paintings. There's some really good um, like model work, planes running into um, 
ground vehicles and you know the air really good uh, on the airfield yeah and then obviously the end sequence where you know they're attacking the base that's it all that's entirely modeled mm. um and there's some good you know sequences of them in the cockpits and you know the cockpits get damaged you know, he was an oscar winner so he knew what he was doing yeah there's individual elements of the movie that work really well mm. but then there's sort of there's elements that just don't hold up i mean at yeah. the time i'm sure they would have been an absolute spectacle there's worse looking films yeah 100 percent worse looking films from the era but now I think it's maybe starting to look a little bit too dated. Another production um, thing we should mention, that the, the scenes where they actually attack the fjord is George Lucas's big inspiration for the trench run scenes in A New Hope. Ah, cool. Okay, makes sense. From this and the Dam Busters, he cut mm. um, the, the elements that he liked and put them into, like he cut them into the trench run scenes to then sort of edit them in the same style. Storyboarded off of it and stuff. Yeah. yeah, and you, there's there's videos on YouTube that, that sync stuff up. You can definitely... Ah, when, cool, okay. There's a scene where X-Wing goes into the into the trench and one of the Empire's laser cannons is like tr- is tracking it. Tracking it like the anti-aircraft guns in the fjord, okay. Swap out X-Wings for mosquitoes and it, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so should we move on to the alley tally before we get into anything more? Yes. Fantastic. It's time for Alley Tally on Fighting on Film. So what have you got for the Alley Tally this week, Rob? Mosquitoes. I mean, who doesn't love a mosquito? The Wooden Wonder, they're fantastic. You know, they've, they've got that. <laughs> they look cool. They sound cool. They're the plane when some people think of the RAF in the Second World War. I'm a typhoon fan myself, but I, I can love a mosquito just as much. Um, so as I said earlier, there were T-33 tugs. Um, variants that were used and fixed with gun barrels. Um, but my real alley pick this week, come on, I can't, because we've not had them for a couple of weeks now and I was itching. I was getting a little bit deprived of them. I think I know what's coming. There's Bedford's in this one, folks. There's a lot of Bedford's in it. <laughs> and Bedford's Some of them are it. hidden. Some of them are hidden, yep. And there's Bedford's in uh, RAF roles, which is always nice to see. So we've got a Bedford M- uh, WM. Um, which they feature heavily in the landing sequences, things like that. Yeah, on the airfield, yeah. We've got a Bedford QL refueling tanker, painted red, should really be painted green. There is a green one that gets driven into, but there's a model. Oh, is it? Ah, okay. One of the one of the mosquitoes that crash lands during the the um, the airfield attack sequence Yeah. Uh, tumbles and rolls into oh. uh, one that, that sort of explodes a bit. I was upset when the Bedfords got killed. Well, no Bedfords were hurt in this film. Yeah, um, they were. The, the Bedford. One, all right. One Bedford was. One hit Bedford was killed. <laughs> KIA. Oh, the well, the, there's a Bedford OY mocked up as an Opal Blitz that Chikaris drives, and that gets. That's the one that gets killed. Yeah, yeah. That's that's why I was thinking of anyway. You meant oh, a case of the fire tender is a model. Oh. Yeah, the the one that the the one that the the plane rolls into definitely is a model. Oh, that looked. I when I watched, it, I thought that was real. That looked really impressive. It's Tom, it's Tom Howard. He he did good work. There is a Saracen in there as well, isn't there? That's sticking out like a sore thumb Saracen, yeah. um, mocked up as a as a German half track. Some lads like sat on the top of it. <laughs> yeah, there's a trend in these movies. They do in the Dirty Dozen as well, where people sit on top of APCs. Get inside them, lads. That's what they're for. <laughs> there's a reason that they're armoured, is that you don't get a shot. It's like it's very weird. Isn't there a fire engine too on the on the Bedford's fire engines? Yeah, there's a fire a fire tender. Yeah. That's what it is. They're painted red. Actually, there's a couple of um, Land Rovers that are in there as well that shouldn't be. Oh, yeah. They mask it, try and mask it with a, 
a tree. Yeah, there's one that's hiding behind a bush. Yeah. <laughs> It's like that's a lightweight Land Rover. There's a couple of a couple of legit looking Jeeps, but then there's a few Land Rovers that shouldn't be in there. No, a bit weird, isn't it? I think maybe when they were filming up in Scotland, maybe they were units. Definitely, yeah, yeah. Production cars. So Matt, there's one standout this week for the Alley Tally for you, Regalus. Yeah, it's got to be the it's got to be the Stenmark one. Such a, a rarity. It is. Like there's only two films that really portray them. It's this and here is a Telemark. Mm. Interestingly, both sort of Norwegian based. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Sort of like resistance movies. Um, but the Mark 1 star is a really interesting one because it's when everyone thinks Stengel, they always think Mark 2, mm. which is the quintessential cheap and nasty little. But the Mark the Mark 1 star is that step between the Mark 1, which had a bit of wood on it, didn't look quite as bad, um, towards something that's a bit more utilitarian. You know, they take off the wood, they remove the flash hider um, to make it a bit faster to produce. Only 100,000 of them were actually made during the war. You never, ever see photographs of them, you know, contemporary photographs of them in, you know, in service, which is really, really weird. So I don't, I've looked into it and I haven't yet been able to find out where they actually all ended up. Occasionally see some Mark 1s in Home Guard service, but predominantly with Home Guard, it's, it's Mark 2s, Mark 3s mm-hmm. later on in the war. So it's really interesting to see these. And we looked at them as closely as we could with, you know, the available, like, resolution that we had and there's a few giveaways that that sort of like hint that they are actual at least one or two of them are legit mark one stars mm. so on a mark three uh, the magazine housing actually rotates to allow it to be stowed a bit more easily um you know especially for paratroops so there's a big spring at the front of the magazine housing and when you like pause the movie in certain places that spring isn't there on the sten guns and there's no rib along the top, so it's not a Mark III that's been mocked up. Yep. It's quite clearly um, a flush tube receiver, and there's there's nothing, there's no spring catch at the front. So it is a Mark I star, or at least a Mark I that's been modified. Who knows? Mm. Because interestingly, there's there's one that Chikaris has, um, and it has a um, a T T bar stock, which is the classic Mark II. I only noticed that when you pointed it out, which was yeah. I only noticed it when I paused it on that literal one mm. scene, and it, the one he carries throughout the film has the T-bar stock. The Mark One star and Mark One had this sort of a little bit more um, involved sort of tube stock with a butt plate. Perhaps that Mark One star has needed a butt, and they've just taken a, a Mark Two sten and put it on because they're all interchangeable. That that bit is interchangeable amongst you can put um, most. Uh, put stocks on most variants of stem that was my only pick and there's some yeah. really great scenes of it being used so at the beginning you see them like hiding and the film begins with sort of like an assassination of a german officer in ambush of it. it's a kubelwagen yeah a little kubelwagen and they they have a little like, explosive charge in the road and that knocks out the car and then they light them up with the sten guns and then we later see them when uh Chikaris's character drops back into norway and he's like bringing weapons and he's going to organize the, the ground element a bit. Um, but everything goes south and um, there's a, a gun battle around a yep. um, toppled Bedford come Opal. And, <laughs> yeah, um, a Bedford Opal Y, probably should call yeah. it. <laughs> <laughs> and um, yeah, so the, the, there's some good set action. You know, you, you get a few good looks. Mm. My other pick um, is the um, Fairbairn Sykes fighting knife. Oh, yeah. That we see one of the Norwegian lads uses it to dig a hole with, doesn't he? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So at the beginning again, they they take out a couple of like straggler German stragglers quietly with them. Don't know why they decide to go with knives and just shoot them because you know they've already blown up the, the car. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> to look cool. Was it? Yeah. Was that line in Lock Stock Chris like guns for show, nice for a pro? Maybe that's what they were thinking. <laughs> Maybe that's what it is. Yeah, they wanted to get across that these lads are, you know, commando trained. So you get a bit of that, and then yeah, one tries to dig a hole with it to bury a parachute. Probably the worst possible like digging implement you can imagine. There's some Lewis guns, and there's blinking you miss it Vickers K guns as well. Yeah, there are no aerial mounting with the, the, the mm. dual mounting. It's be- really nice to see. Yeah, an anti-aircraft pit at the air airfield. Because you get that really funny bit, and I don't know if you noticed it, but I always wondered why the guy does it. When the mosquitoes are landing in that first sequence, you see like a shot of the the, the airfield, and there's a guy in the little Lewis pit, and he's got the Lewis guns on, like he's mm. wearing them. I don't know how he would, would say it, but he follows them in with his Lewis guns. And I'm like, well, you don't, don't shoot the mosquitoes, mate. They're yours. <laughs> like... <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, there's a couple of things with this. Like, by 1944... British airfields would have been much better defended than just like a pair of Lewis guns on an aerial mount. Yeah. Yeah, they didn't have any Bofors guns or anything, did they? Yeah, yeah. They'd have Orlikans and Bofors and stuff. Hey, do you know what? Considering that um, George Lucas sort of like took some influence from those, I wonder if, oh God, it's in like a number of films, but there's always a guy that when there's a, a um, it's like a starfighter or an X-Wing or something coming into land, there's always a guy with a little gun that aims it at the... At the... Yeah, yeah. You, you mean in... Oh, crikey, in Return of the Jedi, mm. when they're landing on Endor. Yeah. Um, or is it Endor? Was it? There's a few, because there's a few in like the 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 um the prequel trilogy as well, like on Naboo and That's stuff. It's a trope. Maybe it's a trope, we just don't know why. Maybe he saw like that Lewis gun guy like following the, the landing mosquito. <laughs> I like it. Because there's that bit in the family guy parody where he goes pew pew got him yeah yeah yeah. oh my god yeah that's true (laughs) but yeah but the norwegian guys look cool anyway yeah you've got chikaris in his like parka you've got his Mm -hmm. mates are in like leather jackets with the world war one cavalry bandoliers on yeah they've got like a rack full of smles in their little hideout they look really good for me like i hate to say it but in a movie about aircraft like your ground sequences are really really good it's like i would have liked to have seen more norwegians i'll be honest same same they do they look cool as fuck honestly they do they really do they're really believable as well i think yeah you know given that everyone everyone is um doing bad speaking english with the norwegian accent accents yes we have to get to the dock to the like, fort. She's, she's doing an austrian accent i think yeah and he's doing greek it's i'm guessing odd, like this yeah. there's a weird i don't know what's going on there so i guess that wraps up ali for this week yeah it does So, Robbie, what have you got for your favourite scene this week? So, as I mentioned in the Ali Tally, I, I know it's going to be a bit, a bit weird to talk about like your ground combat scenes in, a, in an aerial epic, but I think it really stand out for me. So, the, the bits with the Norwegian uh, resistance, but just because it's a bit, it breaks it up a little bit. You know, you don't get any scenes like this in the Battle of Britain. You know, you don't get any scenes like this in Memphis Bell. It's kind of, it's a bit of an anomaly. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. 
Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. So they're obviously important to the plot. So Harry Andrews goes, look, the resistance are going to blow up the anti-aircraft guns on the run into the fjord. Yeah. So they're really important. So when I was watching, I was like, oh, yeah. So they're, they're going to have like a massive assault. You know, when the mozzies go in, it's going to be cut into, you know. Norwegian yeah, we're going to get like a huge, like, Guns of Navarone sort yeah, of like. Yeah, something like that. That's what I thought. I was like, it's going to look so good. And then you kill them off. And I was like, whoa, whoa, hang on. Yeah. It's weird. So I like the bit where Chikaris goes in on the B-25 Mitchell. Looks great. Mm-hmm. Lovely to see a Mitchell when you ever see him. So he's sort of dry, riding back in this Opal that they've captured, and they're saying, oh, I like actually, I like the bit where he lands and he, he loads his Sten gun. Does look great. Yeah, but he holds the magazine though, which lets it down. Yeah, a little bit. A little bit. He's a resistance don't hold, fire. Don't hold so the magazine, guys. That's that's not how it's done. He doesn't have as much Sten manuals as you. <laughs> <laughs> Probably true. Yeah, very true. Um, by this point, like, I think the Germans are sort of onto them. But how? I don't know how. Yeah, we're gonna. I'm gonna come back to this later. This yeah. is one of my points. But yes, carry yeah. On. So they're chasing them, and Chikaris is like a, a checkpoint, and he's like, just, just follow my lead, like drive through it. And it's a bit cliche to drive through a checkpoint, but he somehow throws a meals bomb out of the other window, he does, mm-hmm. um, and explodes. Into a very, very sandbagged position. Yeah, and it completely wrecks it, and they just it? drive off, and then there's a shoot. Got the classic sort of like the guy in the sandbag pit jumps out of the pit. I'm surprised it wasn't a Wilhelm scream when he went away, when he went up. Um, so that's really good. I like that. We mentioned it on the alley tally. Um, yeah, the driver's having a ball. He's loving life. Steering wheel's on the wrong side, like, but he's loving <laughs> Yeah, it's, it gives it away. It's a bed for the... Um, <laughs> but yeah, and then the, 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 the bit where all the Norwegians get ambushed at the end, maybe a bit sad, because I was like, oh no, now the, now the, the fjord's going to be like fully covered by three anti-aircraft guns okay let's before we move on to what my favorite scene is let's discuss a little bit about why the germans knew that they were coming and they had all of their ambushes set up right chikarish gets captured after that scene um when the opal uh, bedford oy gets toppled over they've got him in this ss um headquarters um yeah yeah it's like a gestapo prison yeah like it? a Chicago prison yeah so there's this whole really melodramatic scene because by this point, Cliff Robertson's character has fallen in love with um, Eric's sister. Yeah. So you get this subaltern RAF um, officer and he's like, they've got him. They've got him, Grant. You know what he'll do when he talks? He'll give away the positions. He's like proper like laid yeah, it's thick. Yeah, Houston, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. He's really laid it on thick to him. And Grant's like, if I do it, you know, can you basically, can you blow up the Gestapo prison before he talks? You know, it's like, yeah. oh my God, you know, okay. Um, at any costs, um, Harry at any costs, Andrews, isn't it really? Um, <laughs> Basically. <laughs> yeah. So Grant's like, it'll kill her. 
you'll, you won't just be killing him. You'll be killing the sister too. You know, it's like proper melodramatic. But he um, does it. He does it. And, of course um, he does it. Yeah. Um, and then after that, um, they go on the raid. Yep. So the, the prison bombing, I suppose, takes a lot of inspiration from Operation Jericho. Instead of, you know, killing Bergman, Operation Jericho was a raid on uh, a German-held prison in France, a mm-hmm. uh, Gestapo prison, I think. And they bombed it to to sort of rescue um, French resistance members. They, they bombed the outer walls. They bombed a hole into the wall to, to allow them to escape out. And a lot of them did esca- escape. Yeah, yeah. And that was in that was in early 44. So there's an interesting parallel there. And that was by uh, a couple of Typhoon and Mosquito squadrons. And there's a great video on YouTube by the Operations Room, friend of the podcast. He's, he's got a great, like, animated um, in-time sort of sequence videos. Fantastic. Check that out. Oh, cool. But the Germans know they're coming, or at least they know the Norwegians are coming because they've laid ambushes for all of the various ground elements that are about to attack. Yeah. So the Norwegians are shown, like, getting ready to go. Um mm. Uh, that you know they've got that great scene where they're like throwing the SMLEs to them as they're running out of the cave, which is you great. You get an SMLE, and you get an SMLE, and you yeah. get an SMLE. <laughs> um, like they send the go message, and they all start moving in, mm. and then one by one, all the all the sort of like patrols, uh, Norwegian patrols, the sections are cut down by Germans. Like, so there's a reason. There's a reason they don't fight back as well as they could do because Harry Andrews goes get more men, like get more men for your mission, and <laughs> Chikaris goes well they won't be trained. And then Andrew's like, I don't care. Just, I'll give you more weapons. They need to go in whether they're trained or not. So that at least in that sequence, the fact they didn't react properly or they didn't fight back as hard makes sense. But how in the hell do they know where the Norwegians are even going or where they are? Because Jakaris hasn't talked. It isn't even hinted in the film that he has talked. So it's a bit confusing. How do they know they're coming? It's mm. kind of a plot hole. A massive one, yeah. That you could fly a mosquito through massively, <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> but you had a you you had a theory about why. Yeah, yeah, I do have a bit of a theory. So maybe we could rewrite the film. We're gonna we're gonna do Foff Head Cannon again, guys. Oh, it's been a while. <laughs> um, so my theory is okay. So we could rewrite this film. So instead of um, Jacaris's character being captured, yep. Um, once he parachutes in, what we what you could have had was. At the beginning of the film, Chikaris and a couple of other Norwegian um, sort of resistance guys are seen doing that ambush. Mm-hmm. You could have had one of those guys in a more prominent role, and he's the guy on the ground coordinating. You know, yep. the the build up of the ground forces ready for the the assault, um, and he's captured. Right? Maybe he's captured like taking a Sten gun to like another like resistance cell. He's the guy that gets captured and taken to the um, Gestapo prison. And he's being interrogated. The British find out and they have to bomb the prison, just yeah. like they do in the film. But instead of it being um, Bergman, it's another Norwegian. You could have Bergman go in the Mosquito on the on the raid. And he's the guy that pushes the bomb. You know, he pushes the button and he releases the bomb on his, on his friend. And then you would have had that key character on the ground at the end. So, you know, with the Norwegian leader dead, mm. they they have to drop in Bergman again. So he has to return then instead of earlier. And then his death would have maybe had more weight. Exactly. Because the way they kill him off in the movie proper, they just, 
there's this horrible looking overlaid explosion on Chikaris's like he's tied to this like bed yeah the ceiling sort of like falls in and then so they could have had uh, Chikaris leading a you know like a full-on attack on on the anti-aircraft positions and he was killed there and you know that would have you know that they could have had that mirrored by the guys and you know one by one the, the mosquitoes are being picked off and one by one the Norwegians are being picked off and finally his character gets killed yeah I think it's a shame that there's no trade-off and that would have punctuated that sequence really nicely because of it kind of just becomes one mosquito after another yeah. flying towards that cliff. That's why my criticism If they'd broken yeah. it up, that would have been really cool. Mm. Um, so I don't know why they didn't do that. That, that would have been possibly a better plot. Um, it's an odd choice, just an odd scripting choice for me. Yeah. And it's interesting to note that, you know, um, when they go on that raid to, to bomb the prison, Angus Lenny, no, it isn't Angus Lenny. It's another, um, it's another chap because Angus Lenny goes missing in the middle of the film. So it's another chap who is a, who's just gotten married and he's a young idealistic artist. Yeah, that's it, yeah. Very sadly, when they land back, they crash land and he gets badly burnt and he gets blinded. And his wife comes to him at the uh, to Grant at the middle of the film and says, isn't it sad that he's had his face burnt off and he's blind? Yeah. And Grant just like stands there looking at her and doesn't know what to say. No, it's, it's a bit very, jarring. It's a very odd scene. Yeah, anyway. it's a bit... But that town is quite clearly somewhere in Scotland, in the UK yeah. or Scotland, because there's red telephone boxes. <laughs> yeah. And he points to the the prison, and it's and he goes, "There's the building, and it's a church." <laughs> you know, we cut away to a model of the of the prison, and it's a completely different building. Getting blown up, and I, I do like the bit though the, with that with that raid where the, the SS officer comes out in his black uniform, and he's like pointing at the mosquito to aim the machine yeah. gun fire and he, he just gets like a 20 mil cannon round in the face and goes down yeah. <laughs> <He's> like, ah. <laughs> great like proper commando yeah. commando book it is stuff. it's very commando isn't it the whole movie is a bit commando really commando book stuff um so matt your your favorite scene okay so my favorite scene is um the the scene where the two pseudo messerschmitt 109s yeah attack the airfield that's a great one that's a good one it's a great scene but it's completely fucking ludicrous sorry it's <laughs> yeah. it, yeah, it is. In 1944, two marauding ME-109s would not have attacked an airfield. They, they, could, they wouldn't have gotten through. Isn't there some tales of like, there's got to be some tales of that happening? Sure. I don't know. I don't know. I'm not, I'm, I will say now that I'm not like an RAF air war expert. I'm definitely not. Um, so if there was, that's fine. Yeah. It doesn't seem implausible to me that no. they could have no, got okay. through. I mean, if it had been set like three years earlier, then yes. Yeah, of course. Yeah. But, you know, by this point, we have air superiority. We have radar. We know. I see. Like, no, it's, cause, it's because 633 Squadron Airfield was only defended by two Lewis guns. So, Well, this is why it's my favourite scene. Yeah. This is it. <laughs> so we got these two marauding ME-109s that aren't ME-109s. They're, um, they're four-seater trainers. Right. Okay. Um, Messerschmitt 108s. Ah, is what they are. Okay. Um, so that's why they look weird. So they're attacking the airfield, aiming at the ground crew, not the planes, aiming at the ground crew. And that's a strategy. See, take out the crews, because you can't replace crews as easy as you can replace aircraft. Maybe that's what they were thinking. Sneaky. The only defence that the RAF has at this point is this plucky chap with two Lewis guns on an AA mount. He's giving it some. giving it some. It really is. That. That's my favourite scene. Give that man a VC. <laughs> I love the mosquitoes and I yep. love the sort of fjord attack. It's great. The model work is, is brilliant for the for the time. Mm. But just that plucky chap 
on his two Lewis goals. It's really impressive. And the, but that whole, you know, it's, we talk about more about the, the aerial bits because we <laughs> we were in danger of doing a whole episode on 633 Squadron and not talking about aerial combat at all. Yeah, that'd be um, that would be a faux pas. That would be very funny. Um, but yeah, so the you know the scenes when that when the mosquito comes in and crashes when um mm. uh, well we mentioned it earlier. Yeah, but like but it's when um Robertson comes back, Grant comes back from that raid. Oh yeah, yeah, um, when it's on fire. Yeah, yeah, that's really good. You know, it's the stakes feel raised definitely. It's when great that when you know the 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 RAF rescue guys like arrive and clamber up on top, and he's he's giving yeah. it some with a claw hammer to try and get him yeah. get the yeah. um, the bombardier yeah. out. Everyone's going, you know. You get the you get the two lads the in, in the squadron who are just like sort of watching. They flag down a Bedford and get in to go and help. It feels quite natural. It feels, you know, mm. it's one of the only times in the whole movie where I thought they felt like a squadron. They actually felt like a group of men, not just a random bunch of actors. The pub scene's a bit like that too, though. You got a little bit of yeah. Mm. That's when they feel like a unit, but then after they just sort of they're not important. The film doesn't really care about them. Yeah, you don't it's, see them really. You don't do you know? After no. those pub scenes and there's the briefing, mm. I mean, they're not really important. You see they? them in the planes, but you don't. You don't really see. They're not integral to the plot. So Angus Lenny's character just disappears. That's it. Yeah, and I suppose this is a good moment to sort of like mention that, you know, the interesting representation of like the Commonwealth. So you got like an Australian guy, you've got um, Grant Cliff Robinson's character, mm-hmm. Cliff Robertson's character, who's um, an Eagle Squadron pilot, American. Yeah. Yep. And then you have um, India, it's represented. Um, so you have an Indian pilot who is um, Flight Lieutenant Singh, played by um, Julian uh, Shearer. But it's just a shame they don't do enough with them. In that end combat scene, um, when they're going through the fjords, when they start going down, for me, it switches from credible action sequence to sort of, not farcical is the wrong word, but the way some of them go down is very boy's own commando book-esque yeah well i i will sing's playing uh, literally um kamikazes once sing gets um wounded or mortally wounded mm. uh, his, his um navigator bombardier guides the plane down into actually you know yeah, the, hit, the, the, hit the rock cliff. face yeah yeah, yeah. and because then, then one of them you know one of them flies directly into a messersmith to take it out yes he does yeah, yeah. you know another knocks one knocks out one with his front cannons and then another one comes in cliff robertson's character is absolutely terrible as a wingman <laughs> yeah um he's like yeah i'll cover you um but never covers anyone <laughs> ever I'll get, I'll get those bandits oh no yeah. i haven't gotten those bandits oh, yeah. i'm sorry none of them peel off to deal with the messersmiths which I think is quite funny. It loses it a little bit because they will start sort of sacrificing themselves and things like that. And I'm like, oh, okay, now it's a... Well, yeah, I think those, you know, it falls into one of those... Um, like hero tropes. Tropes of the yeah. um, the ensemble piece as well, mm. where you don't really get to know the characters as well as you could to have that emotional impact at the end of the movie. Whereas like if you take Batan... You get to know each and every character, and it does. It is a little bit laborious mm. to get to know all of those characters, but when each of them is killed, there's definitely more weight to it. Yeah, exactly. So, like as we said in the episode when we covered Batan, you feel it more when you know certain characters are, are killed in that movie, whereas you know with others, possibly including this one, mm. you don't have that connect. No, they don't. And and the parts of the film that could have afforded itself maybe a little bit more time, um, especially with the character. The, the the chap who gets burnt after that raid, the scenes with Robert, uh, with 
uh, Cliff Robertson falling in love with, um, sorry, with Grant falling in love with uh, Eric's sister. Mm-hmm. Those scenes could have been far better served with building your character. So like, oh, this is the squadron going to the guy's stag party or this is or having a drink before he gets married so we can feel the emotional weight of a young pilot just getting married then getting horrifically burnt yeah at least then you'd feel some actual some you'd feel a bit more emotionally involved than Mm. just this nameless chap who who gets married off camera then gets horrifically burnt then his wife who we haven't seen yes is brought out to confront grant needs something because even cliff robertson as grant his character isn't all that likable, really. I mean, yeah. it's just there sort of thing. Angus Lenny's the likablest, like <laughs> Angus yeah, Lenny and George Takaris are the likablest, most likable characters for me. Well, thankfully, Angus Lenny survives. You know, he survives and gets taken to Stargrove 3 and meets up with Steve McQueen, doesn't he? he? Does, so, yeah, yeah. He gets um, wire happy. Yeah, sadly. <laughs> sadly. Um, I think we should move to the final thoughts because we were we were swaying in there, weren't we? We were, yeah, yeah. So yeah, I mean, my final thoughts. I do like C three three Squadron. I don't hate it. It's a classic, you know. It's the soundtrack is worth the oh, the soundtracks. The, that theme is brilliant. It's beautiful, isn't and it? And you can you can hear that he's going to go on and do Where Eagles Dare, and that is that is peak war movie theme. That's really good. But there's a thing for me that it's a bit of a disconnect, and I only realised it. I watched it a couple of times this week. When the raid is finally on, and they've bought the earthquake bombs up to bomb the bomb the cliff, right? Why do they bring those in on a tractor? just looks good i guess it looks good like they bring them into the base on a tractor they have men at like the on guard position with bayonets on it just looks a bit weird and a 60s hatchback a white hatchback drives <laughs> along the the a road that's like behind oh, no, them. really yeah <laughs> I, wonder no, who's, I wonder who's like now who's like mum and dad or like grandparents or that's me that's me nan's box or viva <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's a bit weird but do you notice in that sequence, the camera work gets better for some reason. Mm. So they have that lovely sweeping shot of all the, the mosquitoes getting armed and things like that. And they have like oh, yeah. the crane going up, like crane shot. It's just really weird. It's like they save the money for those sort of They might sequences. have done. I mean, that, that might be it, yeah. Yeah, and then, and then one little thing that lets it down for me is there's no stand-up performances acting-wise, I don't think. Harry Andrews is giving the, his best, but I don't think yeah. the script's great. But he's He doesn't playing have a lot to work with, I would say. He's playing a hard ass, isn't he? No nonsense, senior officer, basically. And then he gets the really cool line at the end when the the um, spoilers, the raid doesn't go very well, and all of them get killed. Basically, well, it goes well. It just doesn't have the the yeah they the kill death ratio everyone would have liked. No, yeah, he gets a great line where he goes, "Oh, you can't kill a squadron." Yeah, and Harry Andrews, you can't kill a squadron. Yeah. It's a great, great line. You get, he gets in the yes. car, looks all pensive, doesn't he? He's like, "Oh gosh, what's happened?" It's like, that was necessary, but that was a high price to pay. It's my last criticism. And I know I've had a few, but I've got to get off my chest. There's only so many 135th scale mosquitoes you can see smash up until it gets a little bit repetitive. Yeah, I suppose so. My only criticism. Yeah, it does sort of detract from it a little bit too. Yeah, just a little bit. But it's good model work, don't get me wrong. Yeah, there's, there's some, of, some of the model work. That last sequence is a little bit, um, you know, you can, you can spot the model mm, work. You can. I mean, we know it's model work. It's very good model work. Of course work. we do, yeah. Um, 
but you know some of it's a little bit too outlandish to be you know mm. or mm. the planes don't quite crash how a mosquito probably would have crashed in a fjord yeah they're like <laughs> they look like someone's put a firecracker in an airfix bottle half the yeah. time yeah but all in all it's it's um it's a solid movie and it, it is it is it is one of those classic sort of sunday afternoon war movies that thousands of us have watched it really is and of course the last bomb does it you know yeah um, it, that's it's the classic commando um it is really commando in it yeah i think that's what it's sort of you why you can't hate it yeah i mean it's for that audience they've all got like 60s haircuts yeah um you know it's not too serious of a war no. movie i mean it's not um, as, it's not as bad as like mosquito squadron that comes out after it does, and there's obviously there's no doorbell in this like there is in Battle oh, of Britain. Yeah, yeah, the, battle, the famous Battle. That's of Britain. a big plus for six three three. Who is Battle of Britain doorbell on Twitter? Oh, we don't know. Um, it's not one of us, by the way. Before, no. before you, you all think that. I've got the time. We haven't. No, no, no. We, we, we're reviewing these movies for you every week. We haven't got the time <laughs> to pretend to be doorbells, people. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, that was a, that was a very elaborate way of saying it's not us. It's not. Us. It's almost like we're trying to deny it. Oh, Matthew, maybe it's you. Um, <laughs> it's a classic. I mean, I'll watch it again. Yeah, it's it's a fun movie. Um, it's not it's not up there with like the top tier of classics. You know, it's not a Battle of Britain. It's not a Longest Day. It's not, you know, it's not up there with those sort of like sixties. It's not a Dan Busters, is it? You know, it's not no, like... no, it's not a Dan Busters. That's true. Mm. Um, it tries very hard, and you know, it's it's it has its place. I think that's what we're trying to say. It has its place in the genre. It's great to see mosquitoes. Like, yeah, I mean, come on, yeah. This and Mosquito Squadron are the only films that really do mosquitoes. Fascinating to see that side of the RAF where it's not fighters and it's not bomber command. It's yeah. that sort of intermediate, you know. And late war representations of RAF too is really nice to see. It's mm. not just Battle of Britain, or it's not just bomber crews. It's True. nice to see fighter bombers doing different things, which is always nice. Yeah. So thanks again to Warburg Coffee Co for uh, offering uh, the giveaway for this episode. So um, I'll be putting out the uh, the how to enter that one on the Twitter page. Which is at Fighting on Film. So be sure to follow us over there. Don't forget to uh, like, share and subscribe to the podcast. Turn on your notifications if you haven't already to make sure you always um, are alerted when we, we put out a new episode. Oh, and we also have the quiz coming up. We do. 30th of April is the second Fighting on Film war movie quiz. It is. So it's this Friday coming up. If you're listening to it as this goes out today, it's in, on Friday the 30th. If you're listening to it after, I thought you've missed it, but there will be more. So thanks again. That was 633 Squadron. And I'm Robbie uh, signing off again. Thanks for listening, guys. Bye. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.